If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. I think all of us in the sustainability world at some level resent the influence of money. But the fact is, money is what makes the world go round. It's a cliche, but it's also true. Understanding money and the way it works, how to raise it, how to spend it, how to invest it, all of those things come together. When money is often associated with corruption and greed, how can we shift our money mindset to be more confident and unafraid to work with it, given that this is how our world operates, so that we can better use it as a resource and means to help improve our world? How do the issues of disease, poverty, and climate change relate to one another? And what can we do that can have the most positive impact today to begin to address them altogether? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To check out our limited 2019 Green Dreamer planners created to holistically support all that you do this year, just head to greendreamer.com. Your purchase will also support the planting of 50 trees and the continued production of Green Dreamer. So thank you so much if you get to find something that you love. More on this later along with a discount code just for you. But for now, on to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is an author, educator, speaker, and founder of the Your Mark on the World Center. Having spoken twice at the United Nations among dozens of other engagements, as well as being a Forbes contributor with almost 2 million unique readers, he's really established himself as a champion of social good. I've linked in our show notes to his work, his social media, and his website, um, including his Your Mark on the World show, which features over a thousand celebrities, CEOs, billionaires, entrepreneurs, and others who are out to change the world for the better. So make sure to check it out after at greendreamer.com slash 107 for episode 107. Without further ado, Green Dreamer, starting off with what inspired his passion for the environment, here's Devin Thorpe. It's hard for me to identify in a way because it's been such a slow process. I've had more years than you've had to figure this out. (laughs) 
I think the the real passion for this has developed since I started looking intently at the world's big problems with an eye toward solving them. And, and the more I look at them, the more I recognize that, especially when we talk about climate change, we begin to see that even the medium term, right, over the next few decades, if we don't get a, a handle on climate change, all of the other things we worry about, global health and poverty and all of, all of society's other problems, will really pale in comparison to the hundreds of millions of people who will be displaced uh, and the tremendous expense. The It seems cheap to talk about money, but the economic impact will be horrendous on countries and uh, we will re-impoverish so many people. We really need to get that figured out. So yes, I have become a pretty passionate environmentalist slowly over time. Mm. What do you think is that one thing that solidified your dedication to the three things that you focus on today, which are poverty, disease, and climate change together? As I've looked at the, the, the world, it, my bias has always been to worry about people. And so as I look at the world and, and see, you know, the greatest suffering, it's caused by poverty and disease. Those are the two big things that contribute to human suffering. But already we're beginning to see the impacts of climate change begin to scale to where the the suffering related to climate change is now at least equal to those other two contributors and will become the largest. I started a, my new career. I used to be a finance guy and started my new career about seven years ago. And, you know, it took me two or three years to begin to really focus on what was my mission? What did I hope to accomplish? And, and as I went forward, I ultimately settled on what I describe as my mission today, which is to solve, you know, uh, extreme poverty, global health and climate change. And and I don't think of myself as doing that personally. I'm not seeking credit, but but those are the, th the problems that I think we need to solve. And I want to focus my time and energy on helping, uh, you know, much smarter people than I find the solutions and implement them. Mm. And you mentioned you were in finance before. What brought you into finance initially and what led you out of it? The interesting thing about getting into finance was it was uh, the subject of really two, one accident and a piece of advice. But uh, I went to Argentina for a couple of years uh, on a mission for my church as a young man when I was 18, came back at 20 and I needed a job and I ended up getting a job for a bank, uh, not in the bank, but, you know, cleaning up a foreclosed uh, real estate condo project. But in the process of working there, I mean, literally doing janitorial work, I got to know the people who were managing the foreclosures at the bank and ended up with a job at the bank. That was one coincidence. The other coincidence was that about that time in my life, my father sat me down and he said, you're a spendthrift, Devin, you need to make a lot of money. So, you know, choose a career where you can make a lot of money. That's what got me into finance. Uh, it, it was not a genuine passion, although uh, I had some facility for numbers and enjoyed thinking about some of those things. And I won't say I didn't enjoy finance because to do something for 25 years, I think you, you have to enjoy it a little bit. And I certainly did. But I ended my finance career when I got fired. Uh, from my you know best job I'd ever had. I was the CFO of a global food and beverage company, but 
you know, they gave me a nice little severance package and I had an opportunity to say for the first time in my life, what do I really, really want to do? Because I can do anything. Mm. And I totally shifted gears. Uh, started off with a, a year in China and working at South China University of Technology. Uh, and the rest is history, right? I've, I've become what I am. <laughs> yeah. And what's something you learned from the finance world that you feel like we could really use to uh, support our progress for sustainability today? Well, I constantly draw on that skill set, constantly. I, I've written six books. All of them kind of have one theme in common, which is how to use money for good. And I think all of us in the sustainability world at some level resent the influence of money. But the fact is, money is what makes the world go round. It's a cliche, but it's also true. So understanding money and the way it works, how to raise it, how to spend it, how to invest it, uh, the impact of investing it for sustainability purposes, all of those things come together. And so I really feel like my skill set as a finance guy is highly relevant to my new work in sustainability. Just out of anecdotal experience as well, I feel like a lot of people wanting to do good for this world almost are scared or shy away from the idea of making money because it might be really closely tied to the idea of corruption or of greed, which is reasonable because through money, we do get to see greedy people's true colors based on what they do with it or how, how they get their money. So what are your thoughts on what we need in this do good world or for people wanting to do good for the world? What are your thoughts on money mindset? What we need to shift this so that we're not so scared of money and really recognize that we need it in order to fuel us forward? Yeah, well, I think the there's a foundational principle that I like to observe and point out, and I'll, uh, I'll raise it here. And that is that money's only real value is the good you can do with it, right? So we should always be focused on that in, in terms of our own personal objectives for acquiring and using money. It should be so that we can do good and do more good. Uh, we need to be careful, I think, not to use that as an excuse to accumulate massive amounts of wealth. Not that wealth is bad in and of itself, but we may be able to do as much or more good, have as much impact uh, without money as with money in some ways, right? Uh, your voice, your show is influencing lots and lots of people, right? Uh, you may or may not be wealthy and your ability to do a podcast isn't correlated with money, so I don't want to overestimate the, the value of money um, and encourage people to have an impact in whatever way they can and not focus too much on money. So money is really a resource that isn't necessary to doing good, but at the same time should be a resource that we use to support the improvement of our life quality and not used to harm ourselves or get in the way of us achieving better health, better public health, just a better world in general, which is, yeah. I feel like what it's become, it's become this thing that people strive for no matter what, even at the cost of social and environmental welfare. For sure, for sure. And I, I think that's really the, the, the message. I think we need to understand how to use money because it is such a powerful tool. But at the same time, we need to not let money ever become more important than the good we seek to do with it.
And so why do you think it's become this way that a lot of our huge companies today are also the drivers of many of our biggest social and environmental issues? And they're doing this because money is the sole purpose or the, the their top priority, basically. It, it's interesting. Um I saw an article in the Washington Post this week that uh, it, it really struck me. Ten of the world's largest corporations have banded together and have said they recognize that they need to take the responsibility for ending climate change because no one else will. And the economy that they depend upon will be destroyed in another generation if they don't. And so I, I think a lot of us in the sustainability community want to vilify corporations. And I fall into that mode of thinking a lot myself. When I am being the most unbiased I can be, when I put on my analytical hat and I'm trying to be as fair as I can be, I would note several things. One, the world cannot function without corporations. At least we don't know a way that would work. Mm. So we cannot make them go away. What we can and should do is work at every to make sure that corporations behave responsibly. So we should be acting to uh, amend policies and laws to require more responsibility from our corporations around the world. Not all of them will choose voluntarily to do what these 10 large corporations have done, for instance. And they are coming to the party rather late, to your point. So this focus on money is built into the very nature of a corporation. It exists largely for that sole purpose. But I would say that there was a shift early, early in my career that really changed things. And it was a fairly novel doctrine, if you will, that emerged that a, a corporation's sole reason for being was to create shareholder value. And there was a corollary that grew out of this. And that was that the management team needed to have its incentives aligned with shareholders by receiving stock options or other equity compensation because they would not act in the best interest of shareholders unless they were shareholders. But the mechanisms we've used by and large over the last 30 years to, per, to try and align the interests of shareholders with management have not brought the perfect alignment that everyone expected. Stock options are not a very good proxy for in hard-earned money invested in a company. And so that philosophy that A, companies exist to create shareholder value, and B, that management has to have incentives, equity incentives, in order to, to behave appropriately, I think both of those are flawed. And many of us have come to see that, mm -hmm. right, that a company really has a responsibility to far more people than just the shareholders, right? They have a responsibility to their employees and their employees' families. They have a responsibility to their customers and their customers' communities and families, and they have a responsibility to the planet. And companies that don't recognize that themselves probably should be regulated more strictly. 
And we as consumers can help communicate that message, right, with the way we shop, the way we buy things, uh, where we choose to work, even what we choose to invest in. All of those things guide the actions of corporations. And so we can shift them in uh, in a new direction. And not all of that will they like. But I think the the end game we need to remember, unless somebody comes up with a much better strategy – is going to include corporations. Many of them are going to be large, and we need to uh, ensure that we align their incentives with ours long term. Mm. So given that we know they're going to be around and that they're going to be large in scale, it's best for us to work with them and see what the best ways are to align our values together. Yeah, we're never going to to do away with them. Uh, so, you know, you think about uh, McDonald's, right? And I don't mean to pick on McDonald's because th- they're not the worst. They're not the best. They're just big and everybody knows what a big, big Mac is. But as consumers uh, shift their behavior, if we make it clear to McDonald's that uh, we want them to be more environmentally friendly, that we want them to have healthier food, that we want them to pay their employees at least $15 an hour, if we as consumers make that clear to McDonald's, McDonald's will do all of those things. But if we keep buying their crappy food, not that all their food is crappy, but some of it is not healthy, right? And that's what I mean by that. If we continue to uh, behave in those ways, right? We, McDonald's will continue to misbehave. Yeah. We have to be the ones to change things. And what do you think is the best way to really influence a large corporation like this? Is it just through our daily purchases or do we write emails to them? What do you think has, what do you think can really help move the needle forward? There's no question. Our shopping behavior is most important. So, you know, a boycott is very effective. It is very effective. Um, now, sometimes what happens with a boycott is people respond. The other side of the boycott responds, and so nothing happens, right? Um, so I'm not saying that's the the way to do it uh, and that it will always work. But, but certainly our shopping behaviors need to take into account all of the issues around global sustainability and uh, equity and, uh, you know, social equity. We, we need to make sure that that we're being thoughtful about all of those issues when we spend our money. So today you're a journalist, author, and speaker on the topics primarily focused on poverty, disease, and climate change. What would you say is the biggest challenge for you as you're trying to get this message out there? Oh, my gosh. <sighs> You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Nick Kristof at the New York Times. Try to read everything he publishes. Um, he's kind of a hero of mine. But he frequently observes that when he writes about Donald Trump or politics in general, his columns get a lot of views. Mm-hmm. And when he writes about social issues, girls not being educated enough in Africa, lack of menstrual pads or who knows what that he might raise of a social issue affecting uh, women and girls in Africa or India or someplace. He'll tell you that his the number of reads he gets, the number of views he gets on his articles goes way down. I don't think those issues stir as much passion in us as I wish they did. Uh, I think there may be some reluctance uh, on the part that we all feel, we don't want to feel sad. I think feeling angry 
appeals to us more than feeling sad. We want to get worked up. We want to be filled with righteous indignation, <laughs> but we don't, don't necessarily want to be filled with sadness. We don't want to be thinking about the poor girl in Africa who doesn't have feminine hygiene products and can't go to school. So that's the challenge, I think, uh, is trying to find a way for me to to make the message resonate with more people so that people are more likely to share you know, the stories I tell. And given that a lot of our social and environmental issues are obviously not very positive and they're, they can be quite depressing to learn about, what have you found to be the most effective way so far to get these topics to resonate with your readers? I uh, subscribe to the solutions journalism school of thought on this, uh, largely. I think the, the solutions journalism purists would say that I I focus too much on heroes rather than on their solutions. But still, I think the the principle, the fundamental principle of solutions journalism is that when we talk about problems, we must also talk about their solutions in the same article, that it's perfectly valid to explain the problem and what's causing it and what the effects of that problem are in, in all of its misery. But we also need to look at what's working to address those problems. Even if it's just small scale and early, we need to make sure that our reporting includes that feature so that people understand that it's not hopeless and that there is a way that they can be a part of ending the problem rather than just knowing that it exists. So we really have to help build confidence and hope so people feel activated rather than depressed and like there's nothing to do. Right, right. Yeah. So these topics that you focus on, poverty, disease, and climate change, how do they relate to one another? You talked about this briefly earlier about how climate change is kind of worsening the issues or accelerating the issues to do with poverty and disease, but I'd love to um, hear more about this. There's no question. These are all interrelated, right? Um, poverty and disease, you know, we can see that, that their connection in almost all aspects, right? You look at where there are still cases of polio and where there were 10 years ago compared to where they were 40 years ago. 40 years ago, there were no cases of polio in Europe or the United States, but there were hundreds of thousands in the developing world, right? Where people were poor, there was still polio. There are very little, very few polio cases today. We've made great progress. The disease will almost certainly be eradicated in the next three to five years. Very exciting. But malaria, right? Malaria is pervasive. There are, I don't know how many, 100 million cases or something crazy every year. And half of it, 400,000 400, people die from malaria every year. We've got like 1 million people every year dying from AIDS and another million from tuberculosis. I mean, we've, there are a lot of people, but they're not dying in, in Western Europe and in the United States or in Japan. They're dying in poor countries. There's a really high correlation between uh, global public health problems and poverty. And there is reason to believe that it's partly causal, right? That the, the disease causes the poverty, but certainly the two go hand in hand. They go hand in glove. And I'm not sure which is the hand and which is the glove, but they go right together. Mm. Climate change is somewhat independent 
In fact, it's correlated more with poverty alleviation than with poverty. The problem is that as we go forward now, we're beginning to see the effects of climate change here in the United States, where we've had more big storms, uh, hurricanes and such make landfall in the last five or 10 years. And we can no longer realistically describe these storms as flukes because they are coming so often. What we're beginning to see is that they are clearly a direct result of climate change. Now, you can't say that about any given storm because if you go back 100 years, yes, there were occasionally, very occasionally, huge storms like this. But what we're seeing is now we get one or two huge storms every single year. And that's that's different, right? We didn't get a huge storm like Harvey or Maria or Florence every year, and now we do. So what we're seeing is that's actually beginning to impoverish Americans. And with that poverty in places where we've been really decimated, we're going to see increases in diseases, et cetera. And so climate change, you can see it right in the United States, is working against all the progress we're making on poverty and global health. So we really need to take all three seriously if we're going to make progress, uh, we, we've got to be addressing all three. And in my mind, increasingly, we need to have our eye on climate change because it is the most intractable and the most difficult for us to, to solve. We need to get all on the same page on this very quickly. Given that climate change almost always impacts poor people the most, at least as of right now around the world, as compared to wealthier countries or wealthier cities, and the fact that poor people often have less influence. How do we work with that so that we can really shift climate change to be the top of like policymakers' agendas? <sighs> Boy, it is really <laughs> tough. It, it is really tough. Um, I don't emphasize enough our political action, and I've got to repent of that uh, because what we see in the last two years in the United States is just heartbreaking. But uh, President Trump pulling us out of the Paris Climate Accords, rolling back environmental legislation, uh, promoting, promoting the development of coal uh, at a time when that literally threatens the lives of every single person on the planet is, uh, to me, just Heartbreaking. And the only way to avoid that is for us to be more politically active. And you can do that as a Republican, too. I'm not saying that you, you, you know, we forget that President Nixon, President Nixon, our most infamous Republican president, was the one that implemented the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. Republicans are just like Democrats when it comes to the environment. Fundamentally, we all want to live in a clean place and protect public spaces. We, we liberals who tend to lean left and vote for Democrats have no exclusive right to that domain. Uh, we need everyone in the country to reclaim that mantra of environmentalists. We all need to celebrate Earth Day and get after it. But at the same time, liberals and I consider myself to be a devoutly liberal person, we tend to make the mistake 
of putting the responsibility on policymakers and governments to solve these problems. We tend to do that. I'm a firm believer that we have to take personal responsibility. We need to all be engaged and recognize that everything we do helps to to make a difference in the world. Everything we do makes a difference, whether it's a good difference or a bad difference. So, for instance, I really try to to do my part. I eat a vegan diet. I, I drive an electric car. For years, I didn't own a car. I mean, I really think we need to take personal responsibility and never, ever, ever forget uh, the astounding need for us to be politically active. We must do both. You can't do one and not the other. So for our listeners today, what would your biggest tip be in terms of what we can do easily that can have the biggest impact? I know this is not the answer that they want to hear. But the thing that most of us can do that will have the biggest impact is to stop eating beef. It's not the cow's fault. It's the way we raise cows today, right? Cows are notorious for their their belching and, and farting. But if they're properly raised, cows will actually be carbon positive. They'll be good for the environment, good for carbon. But the way we raise them in factory farms they're horrible for the environment. Their their waste is polluting the environment. Uh, and well, so it's just horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. Again, it's not the cow's fault. But if we could just get every more people to stop eating beef, it would have a it has a big impact. So I, I would encourage people if you're going to do one thing, if you're just going to do one thing for the environment, do that. And on a bigger level, what do you think we need most today to accelerate towards a healthier, more just and more sustainable planet? Well, it's all you. It's on your back. Cool young people like you have to share the share the word and we need to all align. Uh, we, we've got to find a way and I'm not very good at it. I, I trust me. I believe as much as anyone that we should not be divisive, that we should not be uh, arguing all the time that our politics in America, especially, but it's true around the world. We've degenerated into this, these to vilifying the people who don't agree with us. And it's absurd. It's absurd. we got to stop doing it. I'm not very good at stopping. I know we need to. And yet I find myself oftentimes using rhetoric that is divisive and I don't know how to stop. <laughs> it's hard. But I look to you. I look to you because you're a, a, a cool young person. Oh, to help you. lead the way. You know, I, I, I'm just a middle-aged white guy doing his best out here, uh, sharing a story with the people who listen to me. But everything cool young people do just has huge ripples. Uh, and so I encourage you to stay with it and to try to bring in the conservative young people because conservative young people reject the rejection of climate change, right? Even most conservative young people believe that climate change is human caused and they're willing to do something about it. And that's where I, I think the biggest hope for changing our political landscape lies is with young people, even the conservatives who are willing to say, you know, that they may be more enthusiastic about corporations than I am and all this thing, but still we've got to get real about climate change. So it's really time to get past our differences that might divide us and come together under our shared needs for a healthier yeah. future for everybody. Exactly. It's all on you. 
<laughs> working on it. And we're all learning from you. So I'm really grateful for you sharing your expertise with us. And so what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? Well, I'm always working on new books and I've been working on one book for five years. I've got six books out and and uh, I'm still working enthusiastically on on my book about how we will bring all of these things together to save the planet and the people on it. So uh, I hope someday to have a URL to share, but not yet. Perfect. Well, we look forward to that. And in the meantime, where can we go to stay updated and follow you online and on social media? I'm easy to find on Twitter, at Devin D. Thorpe. Same uh, handle on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Devin Thorpe, and uh, facebook.com slash Your Mark on the World. On LinkedIn, just search for Devin Thorpe. I'm easy to find there. Uh, love to connect with people. You know, so, so you can find me wherever you are on social media. Just look for me, and I'd be happy to engage with you there. Or shoot me an email, Devin at DevinThorpe.com. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to give you a discount code in case you're interested in our 2019 Green Dreamer Planners. They feature our major Earth Awareness Days, 101 self-care reminders, gratitude lists, weekly simple suggested actions to take and cross off, minimalist weekly and monthly pages, extra bullet journal pages, and more. And again, each planner contributes to the planting of 50 trees through international nonprofit Eden Reforestation Projects. If this sounds like it'd be helpful to you and you want to support Reforestation and Green Dreamer Podcast, just head to greendreamer.com slash planners and use the discount code greendreamer for 10% off. Again, that's greendreamer.com slash planners and discount code greendreamer. For now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? The New York Times fixes column is the preeminent solutions journalism publication in the world. They really define what it is to write solutions journalism at the New York Times in the fixes column. Uh, the uh, editor is uh, Tina Rosenberg, and she's fantastic. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I remind myself every day that I make a difference. And I, I have to do that because sometimes it's frustrating. Uh, and I feel like I don't. And so I have to remind myself that I do. What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly? I run. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? Straws. <laughs> so my wife and I bought a big box of paper straws. We take them just about everywhere we go. We, we forget occasionally, but we take them almost everywhere so that we never have to use plastic straws. Now, plastic straws have a grossly exaggerated impact on the environment. Uh, but let's be clear, every bit of plastic we don't use is a bit of plastic we don't use. So they are not, getting rid of straws won't solve all of our problems. <laughs> but it's just one of the things we do, and that's, the, that's our newest thing. Uh, what makes you most hopeful for our world right now? You. You make me most hopeful. You personally and in general, the rising generation uh, of people that are younger than I am that I think have come of age in the time of awareness of climate change and you get it, you understand it, uh, you believe in it. My gosh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that there's so much debate about whether or not climate change is happening. It's sort of like debating gravity <laughs> and yet... We are debating climate change in America. 
so I, I am really glad and hopeful because of you and your peers and the people who are coming up behind you with a fact-based reality approach to thinking about climate change. Really appreciate that. And we'll keep working our hard at this. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? I guess I would reiterate something I said earlier, that there are two equally important things that everyone needs to be doing. And one is to be politically active. Uh, that is just vitally important. But that does not obviate our own personal accountability. Get politically active and keep taking action in your own life, doing whatever it is that you can. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview and the full show notes with links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 107. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, as well as on our new account at Green Dreamer Podcast. I also want to take a moment to thank our reviewer of the week, T. Merriman, for their feedback. They said, this is just the podcast I needed. Short and sweet, always interesting and thought-provoking. Great job growing this movement, end quote. Well, thank you so much. The show and this movement wouldn't be here without you. So thank you for being here and for contributing your voice, your ideas, and presence. If you'd also like to support Green Dreamer by leaving a review of what you're enjoying, make sure to also leave your social media username, business name, or name of the passion project that you're working on so I can potentially give you a shout out and we can check your workout. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.